Ladies and gentlemen, people of all gender expressions, thank you for checking out the North Bank Media Podcast. Uh, joining me on the show this afternoon was my friend AJ Chan. Now, AJ and I have worked together on some video production projects, but lately find ourselves more uh, just sort of having interesting conversations and seem to be doing so more regularly. So we wanted to capture one of those uh, for the podcast. Uh, you know, with it being Asian Heritage Month, um, she had some thoughts with that herself, um, being of Asian descent. And she does a lot of, I guess, advocacy and and outreach and outspokenness on on issues of race and identity uh, on Instagram. And um, I wanted to talk to her about that and the, you know, the, the toll that it takes on a person uh, speaking and advocating for other people. Um, we talked about a lot of things actually beyond that. Um, and it was a nuanced conversation, I thought, and one that I was happy to have. And it's always a great reminder to uh, see ideas for what they are and to see ourselves as being separate from those ideas and, and seeing ourselves as works in progress, you know, and uh, with those ideas coming and going. So I don't want to preface it too much more, but I really enjoyed this one. I think I can speak for her. Maybe <laughs> I think she did as well. Uh, we both felt like it was productive and enjoyable, and um, I hope that you will enjoy it as well. So please enjoy this conversation with AJ Chan. So AJ Chan, thanks for coming on and uh, great to see you. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, are you okay? You doing all right? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> okay. Um, I was hoping actually before we get rolling, sure. um, I'd like to acknowledge that we're on Treaty 6 land. Um, Give her. The traditional homelands of First Nation and Métis people. I think it's important. Sure. Especially if we're going to have people viewing it. I just... It's just important to acknowledge it. Absolutely. So. Well, would you mind asking me? Because I, I, I've been somewhat sarcastic about those being. I appreciate the. I appreciate you doing it, and I'm all for it. But what, um, where does that come from? I guess because that's a fairly new phenomenon, I think, or maybe not. But why did it occur to you to do that? Um, I mean, part of it is just conversations that I've had with some of my friends who are indigenous. Okay. Um. The acknowledgement in itself, like it's it's impossible for us to like take all the land, all of the things that have been taken from mm. our indigenous people mm -hmm. um, and give it back to them, <laughs> unfortunately. Right. Um, but I think in terms of reconciliation, um, any kinds of reconciliation, which I'm sure we're going to get into different sure. <laughs> sectors of that. Oh, yeah. Um, the most important thing... Um, the first step to that is just acknowledging that hurt has happened, that, you know, wrong has occurred mm -hmm. and to acknowledge maybe any kind of benefit that you have had as a result of harm. So for us, that's, mm -hmm. you know, like literally everyday life because <laughs> our homes are, you know, our sports, our mm -hmm. stores, like they're all, you know, for where we are, Treaty 6 land. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I hear that. I'm all about that. 
I mean, mm-hmm. I'm all about, I can understand what you're saying is what I mean. Yeah. Have you, so you've spoken to indigenous people and they feel like those land acknowledgements are, are more than just token. They feel like it's a legitimate, it's worth something. Yeah. I mean, yes and no. I sure. think, I think, I don't think it's actually possible for us to do enough to make up for what has happened. There's, there's no way, there's no way to, to fix it. <laughs> Uh, no. But I think that saying sorry and trying um, to do things mm-hmm. and again, like acknowledging, you know, how we've benefited. Sure. I think acknowledging that is at least that's what I've been told. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I'm, you know, carrying that over using, you know, any platform I'm on. Sure. Um, using my voice to amplify what has mm-hmm. been shared with me mm-hmm. that, um, it's just nice to know or to hear, I guess, that we acknowledge it and we can see how harmful it has been. Mm-hmm. No, right on. I I understand that. I think that's cool that you say um, you're taking knowledge that you've learned and uh, uh, allegedly from the source, right? From people who are impacted by these, by what you want to call, I guess, colonialization. Yeah. You know, you're... Um, well, you've heard this, I don't want to say from the horse's mouth, but you've heard it from a, a real source, a legitimate source. It's not like we who have done some benefit, we who have benefited from this, we're not just making this up, right? We're not yeah. making up this reconciliation. There's a real, there's the people that have suffered and are telling you these are things that are productive. Yeah. And I would, I mean, I think you bring up a great point because um, in advocacy and stuff, sometimes I think you know, people can tend to speak for or over marginalized people. Um, but in terms of land acknowledgement, I think that it's kind of a, a resounding thing that people have, you know, consulted with elders, with different people. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been articles and journals. People have written a lot. Um, a lot of emotional labor has come from our mm-hmm. Indigenous community in terms of like, here's a really easy way for you to be an ally to us. Um, so yeah, I've heard it from some uh, Indigenous people that I know, and also just, you know, trusting sources from Indigenous organizations and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important to try and do the research um, and make sure that it's coming from a source of, uh, you know, from yes. marginalized people. Mm-hmm. And then again, not so speaking over or for them. So I, I don't even want to like really get into it too much because I feel sure. like I'm not the right person to talk to about it, if that makes any sense. Like um, no. I'll do what I know sure. is you know my role, but I don't mm-hmm. want to speak for Indigenous people either, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. Well, that's absolutely the right way to go about it. I think that, you know, because, and stop me if I'm wrong here, but like, you, you'd be considered a fairly progressive person in your politics and in your approach to life, right? Is that fair? I mean, or is there a word that you, or is there, I hate the label. I hate the label, but I I don't want to put you in a box, but what I'm saying is sometimes the people with these progressive attitudes, those that are not as progressive straw man, the progressive people and say, well, they just want to do this, 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 and this. But I like to have these nuanced discussions where it's like, are there some tangible things that are accepted by all parties that we can do here? Just making sense. I haven't eaten in like twenty four yeah, hours. Yeah, no, it, 
<laughs> yeah, it is making sense. Um, I guess it's funny because I, f- I feel like we've sort of talked about this before, but I... Um, you and me? Yeah, I think okay. so. Um, but like for simplicity's sake, I would say, yeah, I'm progressive. Okay. Um, that said, like our world has kind of turned into this like divisive, like there's mm-hmm. only two sides to something mm-hmm. um, existence. And that's not how we are you know 100%. that's not it how humans operate even um so but what i will always say is mm-hmm. that when it comes down to it for simplicity's sake mm-hmm. i am going to say i'm more progressive because i'm always going to side with marginalized groups mm-hmm. um people who are being oppressed um because I think that that's more pressing and that is a, a higher need. Um, sure. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Right. Because I don't, because that's the thing, right? It's like, Oh, she's progressive. And therefore she believes this about all, like, that's the problem with those ideologies. It's like, if you're, yeah. if we lump you in as progressive, then we know what you think about everything, which is a problem. Yeah, exactly. So that, that is one thing I want to ask you is, um, you say you often side with marginalized people and, um, is there a reason that you feel strongly about doing that? Um, Does it come naturally or? I mean, I guess so. I, I, like a lot of things, I, I kind of come back to this. I mean, my own experiences, obviously, as all humans do. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, one of my earliest, not earliest, I guess, just memories. I was 11 years old. I was mm-hmm. at Bible camp. And I was playing basketball, like bump. Did you ever play bump? Bump. Oh. Oh, okay. So you have like a lineup and then you're trying to score before the person in front of you. Does that sound familiar? Oh, that, wow. That is like going back to like yeah. a long, long time, but sure. This is like church camp. Like you need to know it if you go to Bible camp. Okay. Like that's just, you know. Anyway, so I was the only girl. And okay. I was with a bunch of sure. boys about the same age. Maybe a couple of them were a little bit older. And you're how old? You said 11? 11, yeah. Okay. And, um whole lot of adults like standing around Mm -hmm. that's you know they're just kind of watching hanging out you know watching their younger children right and i was beating the boys at bump whatever (laughs) it's a stupid game like you just start over again like that's literally how it works but for some reason this was really angering them which Uh, i mean (laughs) we can get into that topic too of toxic masculinity but anyway so they were um really mad so they started yelling derogatory slurs mm-hmm. um both both sexist miso- well not both i guess misogynistic sexist and racist it was the first time anyone had ever called me the c-word okay um yeah um so and i remember like when i first heard it come out of their mouths because um they, uh, the, i believe the exact term was a dirty chink like i think that was what was being yelled at me wow. um i remember like stopping <laughs> And looking around and just like wondering, did anybody else see that? Mm -hmm. And by the way that the adults standing around the basketball court reacted, I knew that they had heard it. Um, But none of them were the parents or responsible for these kids. And Mm -hmm. so they just like carried on. And yeah, just like, Hmm. I think it continued. I don't know. It felt like ages because whenever stuff like this happens, it feels, you know, it feels like time stops. Right. 
probably went on for, I don't know, a couple of minutes because I got to a point where I was like, all right, well, I'm like, it's a basketball game. Like, I don't care. I'm not dealing with this. So Mm -hmm. I remember walking away, like sobbing, like just, you know, right. uh, Feeling so unsafe, feeling so like invisible. Mm. And uh, that moment for me was the moment, I think I would call it kind of the defining moment when I realized um, I never want to be that adult. <laughs> I uh, never want to be any of those adults. Okay. Um, all right. So, yeah, I would say that that has kind of spurred me forward in a lot of things that I do, a lot of conversations that I have mm-hmm. and why I stand on certain sides, if you want to call them sides, because I hate that there are sides, but sometimes there are. <laughs> well, there are, yeah. there are. I'm sorry that that happened to you. Uh, so no reaction from the adults and there was never any mention of it ever again. And, and it just got, no. it never left the basketball court. Yeah. So, but now, other than that, I have carried it with me my whole life. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, of course there's, there's trauma there, right? That's, yeah. that's terrible. Um, how ironic that this happened in a, under the guise of a Christian assembly. A Christian, uh, yeah, you know, group. Uh, I mean, I guess it depends on how many, <laughs> <laughs> how many side tangents would you like to go down today, Patrick? I say, I say, pick the one that's coming to mind right now because I can see something's coming to mind. Um, well, I mean, quite honestly, it is uh, Asian Heritage Month, mm, so great. um, I'm all about talking about race. Well, especially this month, because I don't sure. think a lot of people even knew that. Um, now, so. not to sound like a pig here, but is is that is this the Asian Heritage Month? Is this something that's new, or have no. I just I haven't been aware of it because it's I'm, been around since the nineties? No way. So May has mm-hmm. always been. Mm-hmm. Now let me ask you this, and this is please just answer it honestly. Is it enough to just give a whole race of people a month? Or is there something, again, as with the land acknowledgements, there's something productive that can come from that? So what I'll say about the months, and and I would say this is something I've even unpacked in my hmm. my own. I mean, we've all got internalized, like, everything, right? Yeah. So um, I also grew up basically very surrounded by white culture, right? So hmm. a lot of my beliefs were like, okay, why are we still, like, like color doesn't matter, but you know, like trying to go with that, like colorblind mentality. Sure, um, sure. But I think it also comes down to, yeah, like land acknowledgements, what you were saying before, mm-hmm. and then just acknowledging that there are things that, you know, we all need to learn mm-hmm. and holding space for it. I think that's like a really good thing to think about is what and who we're holding space for because there's I would say um there's historically been a lot of space held for white culture um does that make sense to you so um designating a month is in itself is not like Mm -hmm. doing anything to you know create reparations for you know, on the terrible legislations that have been forced onto our Asian community. Um, obviously, I'm more, like more aware of Chinese history in Canada just because 
I'm Chinese, mm-hmm. but um, there are a lot of other legis like other legislations that have been in like sadly pretty recent. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm saying recent as in like within our grandparents' lifetime, sure, uh, which is still too recent in my opinion, but. Uh, and also, sorry, I feel like I'm going on tangents. No, no, it's uh, okay. That's what this show is for. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say even in terms of um, education. Uh, so when there's a month designated to mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. it's holding space for those people, for marginalized groups to raise awareness, to mm. educate and to encourage people to appreciate and learn and mm-hmm. like engage in in other cultures and maybe get to know history and mm-hmm. understand maybe some people's pain sure. like um so yeah i think that's that's at least been my experience so far right now is like um a lot of people are saying to me like man i didn't even know it was asian heritage sure. month and then you know, even talking about things like July 1st with people, which um, most Canadians, you know, we celebrate Canada Day. Mm-hmm. And we, I mean, obviously there are some groups that aren't quite as like excited about Canada Day for a lot of reasons. Um, I've heard some people call our country so-called Canada because I think that encompasses a lot of pain and history just mm-hmm. in three words. Sure, um, sure. But for Chinese Canadians, um, July 1st is the anniversary of a legislation that um, basically sought to um, oppress and control Chinese immigrants. So this is like after, you know, because of the, I just want to look it up because I don't want to get any facts incorrect for you while I'm talking. So no problem. we appreciate like that. Remove this part. <laughs> I don't <laughs> do any I'm editing. Like, I don't do any editing, AJ. Um, this is all going to go in. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> That's okay. No. It's okay. Um, yeah, but, you know, sorry. I'm just going to, like, try and gather my thoughts here. Blah, 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 blah. But, um, and I mean, even as a Chinese Canadian, like myself, mm-hmm. I it t- like, I didn't learn about this. I didn't learn about it. And so it's even my own heritage. And it, I think I learned about it within the last 10 years. Wow. Um. Why can't I find this? Why is this so hard? Okay. So um, on July 1st, 1923, Mm. uh, the Chinese Immigration Act was passed in Canada. So what this did was basically broke kind of an agreement that it occurred because all these Chinese immigrants came over to to work on the railroad to do all this, like, you know, have horrific working conditions, horrific experiences um Mm -hmm. die well yeah (laughs) and like this was all you know kind of endured as most um i I call i like the term apisa i don't know if we won't like call it a pisa or what but Mm. um most asians um are very quiet like culturally it's like don't say anything don't cause problems Mm. just work hard take Mm. what you get that kind of mentality and so a lot of Chinese um, people came over, um, mostly men, obviously. Right. Um, 
under the guise that, okay, if we do this work, if we endure, if mm-hmm. we just, you know, stick it out, right. our families will be able to join us here for a better life. Mm-hmm. So they came here, endured all of that. And then, <laughs> and then in like when the Chinese Immigration Act or the Chinese Exclusion Act passed, it meant that none of their families could join them. Really? Yeah. So a lot of Chinese wow. Canadians called this like uh, Chinese humiliation day. Um, hmm. Also like a head tax that was put on to Chinese, every Chinese person that entered the country, Wow. Um, which got up to about like $500, which I don't even know um, what that would be in today's price, a, but you can guarantee lot. that they were not getting paid enough to right. be able it was to out of reach. support their family to come here. Um, yeah, and at that point, so 1923, the head tax was already in. Mm-hmm. By the point that they passed this exclusion law, the Canadian government had collected over three, $33 million in head tax from Chinese immigrants. So, um, yeah, so just, yeah. I mean, like, we no, could, there's so many things we could talk about, mm-hmm. but that's what I mean about holding space and then, mm-hmm. you know, being aware of our histories like this this is my history as a chinese canadian obviously but mm-hmm. it's also all of our history like it's um right if you want to call yourself a canadian you have to own what that means yes and what we have benefited from mm-hmm. as a result so again that acknowledgement again what are we going to do seek out every you know chinese family that paid a head tax and give them money back like money doesn't doesn't pay back the years that these right. families were separated from each other. So, oh, that's incredible! Yeah, I, I'd never heard yeah. of that. I'd never heard. I mean, of that. that's kind of like the. There's, there's so many things we could go into on it, but yeah, I just. Sure. Well, what, what's maybe great if the host had maybe done some prep here, but he just was going to. F- <laughs> shoot I mean, for, I didn't even. I had to like. No, I. I, I know it, and I still had to like. Sure. Which is fine because there's a there's a sense of realness here and just kind of going where we want to go. And I think that's fine. Yeah. So that's, so have you heard it said in the Chinese community uh, that July 1st is not a celebratory day then? Oh yeah, definitely. Right. It's like been coined the Canadian humiliation day. Wow. I have never, yeah. uh, see again, and then I've, I've said this numerous times on the show. It's like, I, I didn't hear about residential schooling until I got out of uh, Edmonton public school and got into uh, university. Yeah, you know, there's, there's th- we don't necessarily realize the magnitude of the uh, racist policy that that kind of f- yeah. uh, formed this country. Actually, yes, actually, literally formed it. Now, is there? A, well, yeah, because th- like you said, with the Chinese railroad workers, it's like come and you know experience horrible conditions, and then your family can't come. But also, you built the country's infrastructure. You know, like we used you to literally yeah. build the country. Yeah, and then later bring in laws that prevent them from being able to succeed. Like there was a law, it was called like the Women's Labor Act, I believe, Mm. where because, you know, after the railroad, you have Chinese families trying to find work. So one of the biggest, you know, I I mean, a lot of people might know about this anyways, but, you know, a lot of Chinese families started laundromats because it was, you know, they were willing to do really hard work um, for very low costs unfortunately sure um and as their businesses began to expand they started to want to hire employees Mm. and um 
a lot of employees that would work in a, a laundromat were white women. Hmm. So what the government did to hold back that success, hold back that ability to grow and expand and, you know, become functioning, sure. like more than surviving, like actually thrive in our communities. Right, they right. passed an act in, I think it was in, definitely in Saskatchewan, I think BC, and I'm not sure where else, um, where Chinese businesses weren't allowed to hire um, white women. So they weren't allowed to. They just get, yeah. Hand, yeah. So they've, they're yeah, handicapping just, just, the business right there. Kneecapping yeah, them. Whatever. Constantly. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough to hear. So now I want to ask you, is there a space or is there a way in your mind where a July 1st candidate could be thought of as being maybe not hundred percent celebratory and not a hundred percent a dark day for some cultures? Is there a way that we could frame the discussion of July 1st in a, nuanced multifaceted way where it's like we have to acknowledge what this country was how it was built while also acknowledging that at this time while there is inequality it is one of the best functioning democracies i would say maybe i'm wrong here it's it's a first world country there's a lot of opportunity here for a lot of people and a lot of good stuff going on is there a way we can have that discussion you think well i mean i i think I think having, you know, acknowledgements of our history mm-hmm. and how we are a colonialist country, like we are, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we are colonialists, we are settlers, like even so I'm a person of color in Canada, but I'm still a settler. Like I still live on Treaty 6 land. Mm-hmm. I still benefit from harm that was caused before my family was even on Canadian soil. Right. But I benefited from it. Mm-hmm. Um. In terms of, I think that that's, I'm trying to think of how to put this. Sorry, just like gathering my thoughts. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a good thing you can cut out audio, hey? (laughs) The dead spots. Well, it'll be easier. This isn't live on air radio, is it? Yeah, no, no. It'll be (laughs) Um, easy. I'll load up the waveform and it'll be quite clear where we stop talking. It's hard to answer that because I don't want to try and speak sure. for others. And the, the other thing that I, I, I mean, I do know that part of the problem, you know, that maybe people don't even know about Asian Heritage mm-hmm. Month is because, like I mentioned, culturally, like, we don't like attention. Mm. <laughs> we don't want to. Yeah. Um. It's very much like, you know, be invisible, don't cause problem, don't do, you know, don't do this, this and this, which I, I think um, comes at least from the Chinese side sure. of things, uh, comes from living under an oppressive uh, uh, communist rule where mm-hmm. you just you just want to survive. You just want to like exist. You don't ask for too much. You just like, you know, keep blinders on, keep your head stay down. alive keep your family well. And Mm. that's, you know, that's what matters. Um, Might there be some benefit to that or is it, is it like self repression, self oppressing? Like you've learned these, these state inflicted mechanisms and now you just are are teaching your children this. I think, 
Yes and no. Mm-hmm. And so this again comes back to basically my mindset in sure. most things in life that there's mm-hmm. not like a a hard answer which is is in itself the hardest answer of all, I think, because there isn't like a template that works for every single thing mm-hmm. beyond it being are you willing to be open-minded and and hear and you know in every situation see whether it's a different, I don't know. I'm not mm-hmm. really putting this very well. No, that's okay. It's a, it's a weird question. I hadn't thought of it until just now anyway. Well, I guess I thought uh, about it because I've heard that argument about Canada Day, July 1st, not being a celebratory day. And I can understand why some people would feel that way. I just don't want to negate that there, you don't want to get lost not seeing the good in this country either. Absolutely. Um, but how much more beautiful is it? Mm. And real and honest to be able to celebrate the good because we're aware of the bad, because we acknowledge it, because sure. we acknowledge that we're not perfect. Mm-hmm. I think that that's like the beauty of being human mm-hmm. is that none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. Right. Um, but harm comes when we're unwilling to maybe examine ourselves to say like, hey, maybe maybe I could have been a better person in that scenario and I want to yeah. address it. I want to say sorry and I want to be better. Mm-hmm. And I think the only way that we can be better as individuals, as you know, collectives, is to be willing to enter into that discomfort yeah. and do that kind of hard self-examination. Mm. Um so I think, I mean, it's really easy to talk about as individuals. It's really hard to know how to do that as a group, but mm-hmm. I think that it starts as, yes. you know, these conversations as individuals, like how do we do that? And asking that question, I think in itself might be the answer as opposed to there being like an actual definitive thing that I could say that we would be doing. Mm-hmm. No, you I know? You're speaking my language. That's kind of been become the motto of this show is um, mm-hmm. any real, I mean, any real tangible change that you might have any hope of affecting starts at the local, like personal internal level, you know, and then it's maybe you can then branch out and have an interaction with one person, you know? Yeah. I, and I think it's, it speaks to humans tendency of, to have those sort of religious ways of thinking where it's like, well, there's a one size fits all solution for this problem. We just haven't found it yet. If we just yell and scream enough and cut enough people out and marginalize and villainize and do all those things, we'll find the straight and narrow, but really it it starts here and there is no solution. And these problems will never actually go away. I don't believe. No, because we're humans. I mean, like even in terms of equality, um, I think power struggle is just interwoven into who we are as beings. Um, So you see it in a lot of different groups that, you know, once they gain equality, there's even gatekeeping within their communities. There's gatekeeping Mm, and oppression that happens within those, you know, marginalized groups. I Mm. mean, I can say this, even as a Chinese person, I, I witness this all the time that there's like, you know, certain groups that might be, you know, considered better than others, or, Mm. you know what I mean? Like it it definitely exists. That's just humankind. But Mm. our problem is that we're unwilling to acknowledge that. Mm. Um, And I think that if that's what we can strive for is like an openness, a softness, 
being willing to have hard conversations and feel uncomfortable from mm-hmm. time to time. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's really the goal more than like a, you know, a specific thing. Sure. I think that as a society, if we seek that mm-hmm. and we, you know, want to grow into that kind of a person, mm-hmm. that it probably will spill out in all aspects of our lives because mm-hmm. you will start to want to be more aware of you know the plights of marginalized people you'll want to care about people's pain and it won't you won't be prioritizing your defensiveness or your you know do you know what i mean like you won't yes. start which i see a lot is like this centering of like well i i'm there's no way i did that like why are you coming at me because, right and how did you start um, that sentence that, that that character that you just did where they got defensive, what do they say first? I, 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 mm-hmm. I, 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 I. It's always the ego comes first. Yeah. It's like, we're not talking about you, actually. And, and being willing to, like, I think this is like, I remember in elementary school, I learned like, you know, how to make these like I statements when you're talking <laughs> to people in conflict. And I actually, I mean, I don't have any training in this. So someone mm-hmm. could be like, AJ, you're totally off. But mm-hmm. As someone who, you know, comes from a marginalized community, has experienced some uh, pretty awful things in my life of people oppressing and holding Mm -hmm. power over me, Mm -hmm. and then also experiencing, like, fake apologies, Mm -hmm. um, I think we have to be willing to just say, like, I'm sorry, Mm -hmm. and, like, end it there. Don't, don't, you know, go on and say, like, but, you know... Mm -hmm this is what, and this is my intention. That's not like, that's not what I meant. She's like, doesn't matter. Just say sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. No, there's a real problem there where people get very defensive, very egotistical and very, well, it's not easy, right? I mean, it's not, Mm -hmm. it is not easy. And then we should make that concession too, at some point here that none of this is going to be easy actually. And if it were easy, maybe we wouldn't, we would have done it a long time ago or it would be part of daily life instead. You know, but people get so, well, I don't know. And I'm not going to, I'm not a psychologist, but it seems. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah. yeah. I that, just see one. <laughs> if that, yeah. Yeah. No kidding. I know a couple very well. I've spent a lot of time <laughs> with a few of them. Just one of them, actually. I went to therapy for a long, long time and it really helped. I think, honestly, I wish that um, therapy was just as normal as going to the doctor for a yearly physical. Mm. Like, I think it should be included in in our universal healthcare, whatever you want to call it. Um, that might actually be a tangible thing to advocate for. Yeah. That might be, that would actually be the one thing I'd get, not the one thing, but that's something that you said it. And I was like, I would get behind that. Mm-hmm. I would get yeah. behind that big time. But taxes. Well, we got to pay for people. <clears throat> I'm not paying for anybody else to be well. Right. Well, there you go. There's the other thing. There's yeah. the other thing. Freaking communists. And, well, I'm like the only person that right. can say that in this conversation, you right? Know, well, <laughs> you know, the, the, thing, the thing there, though, is that, and I had this discussion with somebody last week, um, and that episode will come out later, but it was something like, and we were talking about drugs and substance abuse and these people who, oh my God, how could you have supervised consumption sites? How could you? It's like, but if you help at least at least strive for a little equity here and like bring up the bottom end for some of these people that is actually going to improve quality of life broadly across the board and for you. Right. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to pay for me to get therapy fine, but if we're all at least coming to a bottom level of some therapy, 
it improves everything. And even if you're a cold-hearted capitalist, it might even make the economy better if you have more productive people. I mean, if we want to talk about the economy and costs to us as taxpayers, mm -hmm. uh, it actually would be cost-effective for us to prioritize mental health mm -hmm. because the amount of hospitalizations, um, the strain and the over... Um, I forget overpopulation of sure. our, uh, you know, psych, psych. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I don't want to call them wards. The psych, like floors and sure. psych centers, mm. um, they're overrun. Like the wait for someone to get into a psychiatrist mm. is like sometimes over a year. Um, and so, if we normalize mental health, which even comes from having conversations like some of us like therapy can come. I mean, I think that everyone should have professional therapists, but I also think sure. that having conversations about it and normalizing, you know, mental str like struggles mm -hmm. in terms of mental health um, is also uh, lifts a lot of burden as well um, because shame is an incredibly um, destructive mm. force in our, in, our lives and it can cause a lot of harm in terms of even like your physical health yeah, and of course like mental illness as well. So even, even if you want to like make it about money, which I think a lot of people are, it's like, this is still, <laughs> still better because if we're talking sure. about safe consumption sites in itself, I'm sure you've talked about this. So, um, but like it's cheaper for us to have that and, you know, monitor, keep them safe, have professionals, on site to mm -hmm. make sure that they're okay mm -hmm. than to have to like send, you know, if there's an overdose on the street, right. who, who's getting sent? Probably cops, probably, you know, someone might be calling 911. So we've got all of our emergency services going mm -hmm. and then maybe this person is going to the hospital. How long are they in there? Like, it's like $5,000 a day for someone to be in the hospital. Is that right? I, I think it would be really hard for someone to tell me <laughs> <laughs> that having multiple, um, ODs ending up in the hospital is somehow cheaper than monitoring and giving them life. And also like, do we not just want to prioritize human beings as being humans and treating them with dignity? It's a good question. I don't know if like, I want to know the answer to that. But know? what kind of a world do we want to live in? Because that, I mean. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now I also think there's a danger here where we're creating this like conservative white straw man of this evil guy that just is in it for himself. But these, those attitudes I think exist too. Yes. You know? So yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to make a point here. That's kind of along those same lines where when I see some of your output on social media, I it's, it's so easy for me to start constructing a picture of what I think of you. And I, I, I do do that just so you know, and, but it's not like in this, like I'm raging on you or whatever, but it's like, I'm getting a picture of what is really important to you. Mm -hmm. But now we've been talking for half an hour and you have a much more nuanced view on things than I think what is, because you do this sort of outspoken advocacy on social media, right? Mm -hmm. What, I guess my question after that is really, do you get the feedback and the results that you're looking for through that? Or is it, is it some form of personal healing that goes on through doing that or because I, I mean, the answer for that is probably yes. Sure. Okay, good, good. <laughs> I just want to make sure because it's, it seems like it takes a toll on you emotionally. It does. It does. It definitely does. Um, 
my partner has often reminded me that uh, as humans, we all have an emotional budget. Mm. And so we have to choose how to spend it because once it's spent, it's gone. Like, it's not like we have unlimited resources in terms of Mm -hmm. what we can offer. So when I do say things, it's out of, you know, trying to have careful considerations. I'm an emotional person. I would never try to argue that fact like I am. Um, But I've done a lot of work. And like I said, talking to a therapist Mm -hmm. about making decisions about what I engage in and how. Um, So I think a lot of it comes back to, you know, my story that I told you about and um, wanting to say to people who are possibly being attacked or, you know, forced into back into their marginalized Mm -hmm. spaces um, or told to be quiet or silenced. um, I come out strongly so that they have some, they can see that there's backup. I very rarely believe that I can change anyone's opinion okay. about things. Um, so that's, that's not my, that's never my goal. It's, okay. it's never changing someone's mind. It's never to debate or to argue with someone. Mm. It's usually to, my words are to stand with um, or in solidarity with someone. Um, but there is like an educational level as well, obviously with like some of the stuff that I've been talking about recently with, uh, race. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I trying to think, I mean, it is a level of it is healing. Um, there's validation in, Mm. in being known, uh, when it comes to, you know, talking about my own personal journey. Um, which also opens up a door for me to connect with other people who have been through similar things. I mean, I don't know how, like, do you want me to, I could go down into, you know, even my experiences as a survivor. Like, do you, I don't know if you feel like you could break this into two different podcasts even. I don't know. No, no. I, I think I should just maybe be a bit more directed in what I'm trying to do here. I, what I want to do with this podcast more lately is, I'm fine to talk about any issues that are important to yeah. the guests, but I'm really curious as part of the reason I did no prep for this episode really was that I want to drill down past the political and into the personal. So if you do want to talk about how your experiences shape your actions, I think that's really interesting to me. I'm, okay. I'm fine to hear about whatever, but that's what's in, it's your take on this is what's important to me here. Okay. So yeah, from like a, a personal side um what has been powerful for me either as the person sharing or as a person reading someone else's or watching someone else's words that they're sharing Mm -hmm. is in feeling known and Mm. not alone um because on a lot of these topics whether it's like you know sexual assault or Mm. racism or whatever it's the isolation Mm. it's the isolation that is damaging um so you know referencing back to that story it i don't even know if 
it's funny because when I look back on that, the people that I'm the most upset with are not the kids that were, you know, saying terrible, terrible, like sure things to me. It was the people watching and being okay with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think even at that age, there was a, point, a part of me that was like, these kids don't really know what they're doing. No, they have no idea how loaded that word is, right? Yeah. Um, but the adults, the people watching, I don't know if they'll, they probably don't even remember that it happened. Hmm. But the harm that they perpetuated in my life mm-hmm. as a person um, to this day um, was so significant because of their inaction. Right. Um, now, could I yeah, interject so. with one thing? And yeah. are you familiar with, there's a, a Leonard Cohen line where he says there's a crack in everything and that's how the light gets in. Mm-hmm. So for myself personally, I, there's some things that I don't talk about publicly on the podcast, but it's because of those things that I'm even doing anything that I'm doing and feel like I'm living the life I want to live. Like I had mm-hmm. to get the shit kicked out of me. Do you think that that experience of being hurled racial slurs at uh, maybe was necessary in some ways to set you on a path that you sh- that you ought to be on? I mean, definitely. I think there, there. Yes, I also have. I mean, gradually, I share things publicly, but mm-hmm. there are some very dark parts of my life. Um where I endured incredible trauma Mm -hmm. and uh, pain that I think forced me into this space of, you know, I I'm in therapy now and Mm -hmm. it's because I don't want to continue those cycles. I don't, I recognize that there's generational trauma, um, in all different aspects, you know, you get trauma from your parents, you get trauma from your grandparents, you get Mm. trauma from like systemic racism, racism. We all do like, we all have trauma, which is why I'm like a huge advocate. Like everybody should have a therapist because if you don't think you have trauma, you do. (laughs) Right. And then it passes through you into somebody else instead of the buck could have stopped with you potentially. Yeah. Um, so you know, that openness, that softness that I talked about before Mm -hmm. I have, I have experienced the, uh, what it's like to receive an unwillingness to acknowledge fault or acknowledge Mm -hmm. those things that could have harmed someone exponentially. Um, so it's not because I'm like, I'm a great person. I'm doing good things. It's like right. literally because I know what it's like to feel uh, invalidated and to feel um, to be made small and gaslit. And mm. um, I never want that to be a narrative that someone feels after an interaction with me. Am I going to mess up? <laughs> yeah. 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 And that sucks. Like it sucks to think that. It sucks to hold on to that truth. Like the mm. really like strong defensive side of me is like, no, <laughs> I'm gonna be better. I'm gonna do all this hard work and I'm gonna fix myself. Right. But it's like these are just 
like you can't just erase things you can mm. you can redirect you can restructure but um it's still there um and i think recognizing my own trauma recognizing the things mm. i've come through um it's funny because people say that it makes you stronger, but I think right. that for me, it's actually made me softer. Hmm. Um, and that, yeah, I think that's where I would like to be, which is hard. Oh, <laughs> I don't like crying. It like messes up on the internet. Like yeah. that's, that's yeah. you know, that's something I've noticed as I'm seeking out softness and wanting to be like, mm. you know, growing in that, part of my emotional journey mm -hmm. is like, you know, watch a dog video and I cry. <laughs> so what's that about? Are you okay? So there's a question. Have you just become incredibly empathetic or sympathetic or, or have you taken yourself into a place where you're kind of on edge and it's easy to push you into that emotional response or is that where you want to be? Okay. So, um, I don't know. This is going to like, you can use this or not. It's up to you. I'm using I just it. need to like use it to process where I'm going with this brain. Um, sure. Which is, I mean, I just started ADHD meds, which oh, has been a whole that, journey. Of it. How's that been? Um, like life changing oh, already really? in two days. Um, oh, right on. Yeah. Very emotional. <laughs> cool. But those are like stimulants, right? Or yeah. Or, yeah. Uppers, but for me, what happens, so see again, like I'm going to, this is my ADHD. Take it where you want to um, take it. That's the beauty of the show. Nobody. Yeah. No so agenda. like, I mean, no agenda. I, uh, I cried the whole, basically the whole day that I first took it because it was the first time in my entire life that I've had relief, which I didn't even wow. realize I needed, but my, you know, my whole life has just been like chaos and mm. it felt like someone had opened a window and I could actually see all the things I was stumbling over for years. Wow. Um, it's funny because the song, like I can see clearly now came on when I was driving Oh shit! home from picking up my, my dogs from daycare. And I was like bawling because I was like, this is exactly how I feel. Like this Damn. is, this is what it has felt like for over 30 years. Mm -hmm. And now I'm seeing what, what the other side of this is like. And yeah, it was emotional. Like those tears were gratitude. They were relief. They were sadness and anger all encompassed in one experience. You know, I, I had a teacher who taped a square around my desk and uh, told me I wasn't allowed to leave it or talk. Oh, good. While I was in it. I was six years old, mm. six years old. Oh, that's helpful. Um, and I got sent to the principal's office like anytime I left, which happened a lot. Mm-hmm most of <laughs> but I, you know what i mean so like in that one moment of like finding you know some relief it was validating like <laughs> so much Every, of my life everything made sense hey eh? like everything aligned in some ways yeah um anyways that's why i went down that tangent like oh sure no i'm, um, I'm happy to hear but that yeah so back to you were asking me about hard uh, like softness right uh, emotional being on an emotional edge right Is yes that that's exactly right yeah, so I would actually say that when I was not doing this work, when I was not being willing to address some of these things, mm -hmm. uh, which happens because it's a lot, it's overwhelming, and that's mm -hmm. that's okay too. Um, yep. I would have, I probably would describe myself as more emotionally 
unstable, more on edge, more angry because anger is like a, a signaling emotion, right? If something has happened and if you don't deal with whatever happened that hurt you or, you know, made you feel unsafe, made you feel violated, that anger is just going to like be on the defense and ready to protect, ready to be on guard all the time. Mm -hmm. So I I would say I was like more irritable. It's hard to, again, I also had undiagnosed, you know, untreated (laughs) issues. Um, So again, you know, overstimuli, too Mm. much emotions, but again, untreated trauma Mm -hmm. as well, which again, just because you ignore it, it does not go away. (laughs) No, it gets bigger actually if you... Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah. So I would say in this journey, um, I mean, I, I always see things in pictures. Um, so for me, uh, what I've learned in this journey with my therapist is to view my emotions as like, um, it's like my life, my, me as a person, it's like, there's a a stage, um, and my life Mm. is being carried out or played out on this stage. And, um, when I'm healthy, I'm the director. I'm like, okay, this is what we need. Ah. You know, this is what we got. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. But sometimes certain characters try to have a monologue when they're not, when it's not their turn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, like. And these are char- um, these characters are other people or they're other versions of you. Uh, they're they're characters. I don't really know how to explain. Like, um, so for example, for a long time, the Hulk. That I, I have a character that's like the Hulk. And that's my protective, like angry, mm. like yelly, brash kind of like okay, um, defensive mechanism. Hmm. And he was in charge for a long time. Him and the and the inner critic. So mm. none of none of the also none of these characters are bad. So the Hulk, angry guy, not bad. Inner critic, not bad. But sometimes misses what their job is. Ah, you know, like misunderstands their role. Sure. And when I'm well, when I'm healthy and I'm paying attention, director comes in and is like, okay, thank you. But here's what your job is. Right. Let's go back there. You know, yeah. that's you when I'm in. healthy, when I'm, yeah, exactly. Um, that's very so yeah, interesting. Would, that's really interesting that you see yourself that way. It's like a, it's like a, a, a the word that came to mind was like psychodrama. It's like <laughs> the drama in, of because we all have multiple personalities let's be frank about that oh yeah i mean not the actual disorder but yeah. no 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 sure i shouldn't have said that maybe multiple well what do you want to call it sides faces uh we're i mean it's even just um versions mm-hmm. different versions and I which even, again is okay <laughs> it is okay i even think yeah. that the idea of the self being a contained single unit is is a, is something that we do just to keep ourselves from exploding it's mm-hmm. to, to to see me as a one singular thing is not correct i'm just a vial essentially of a bunch of different things if you're enjoying this conversation please subscribe on youtube and give us a like if you're listening on apple podcasts please subscribe and leave a five-star review and now back to the conversation well and i think the reason that this i mean i'm a storyteller Right. Like that's just what I'm passionate about. That's even how I chose my career. Like, um, but the, I think what was life changing about this kind of vision and, and recognizing that for myself was again, 
I think a lot of us try to control our emotions, right? That's kind of a, a narrative that I've heard a lot where it's like, control yourself. Like, mm-hmm. and we view that as like, suppress, like I'm angry, stop being angry, be happy now, be this, be mm. that. And, and so then I thought, you know, when I realized like, okay, I don't want to suppress, then I thought it was like, let them run wild, feel whatever you feel, blah, mm. blah, blah. And, mm. and that to me seemed like chaos. But then coming into this, this narrative of like, you know, characters in a play that I'm the director of, sure, it doesn't invalidate, like if the Hulk comes out, if he's like, oh, this makes me angry, <laughs> then I can now acknowledge that and be like, hey, what, what is happening? Right. Thank you. You did your job. That's <laughs> great. Good job. Um, what's going on that's making me react this way? Right. And then, you know, I can bring out, um, you know, whatever character I need at that moment. Like I have, there's like, I call her big mama. Like she's like the, like uh, very nurturing, mm-hmm. kind, patient, caring, like that person might need to come out and be like, okay, let's talk about, you know, why are you feeling scared or angry or whatever? Um, still in control though. Right. Like sure. I am still in control of it. Still acknowledging every you know, emotion that I'm having, whatever character is like talking at the moment, Mm -hmm. but I'm still ultimately in control. And I think that's like been the really life-changing part of it for me too, is like, Mm. I am an emotional person. They don't control me though. I Mm. feel every emotion. I, I, you know, I feel it. I work through it. And sometimes I can even now as a director, it's not suppressing it or anything like that. But sometimes I can be like, you know what? Thank you. I I see that we don't have, this is not the time or the space to be like hulking out, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. So thank you. We're going to, we're going to, you know, come back to this scene and work through it later. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. That's great. Because obviously those emotions are signaling some kind Mm -hmm. of unconscious reaction to some stimuli, I guess. Yeah. And it's also a listen to your body because it's always talking like 24 seven. It's, it's telling you the answer and also be a little bit easier on yourself. I don't mean you, but I just mean yeah, us broadly. I, mean, I, could, yeah. I could though. Right. It was like, <laughs> it could all be easier. Right. Like I, I took a holiday last earlier in the month and I, I read back some pages of my journal from March up until May. And what I got out of that was like, I don't take enough time off, which is a ridiculous thing to say when you're like a freelancer trying to build a business and, and have no safety net. But it's like, here, you you burned out at the end of March and you kept going for a month and a half and then you took yeah. a holiday? Come on. Well, I can speak to that. Sure. Like even from the same industry, I burnt myself out and I still haven't found a way back. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so you, yeah, you, you're not like out shooting and editing daily like it's you're you're just kind of no because i need to i I need to re and i recognize this um having burnt out and also i want to acknowledge i have the privilege and the ability to take this space not everyone has that so i I, like sure i also am able to do it so i'm trying to essentially capitalize on that and make the most of the healing and you know space and kindness and patience that I can give to myself in Mm -hmm. that in that but I've tried a few times to like jump back in and it just you know sets me back so it's like 
I'm trying really hard now to only take on, like do something if I am so incredibly passionate about it um, like or really? help people out because I, okay. that to me is like, yeah, but I mean, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. but I, yeah. I noticed that like the burnout comes in ways that are like, again, it's not, and this is how I, again, signaling, right? So when sure. you don't act in a way that is like reflective of, who you want to be. So, I mean, obviously this is like, mm, no, no, this is good. I can try and figure out like even the way. So as, as a freelancer, the way that you react to clients, I think is like a huge signal in itself. Like if you're like, Oh, like <laughs> fuck this guy. Yeah. Like yeah. clients are frustrating. I get that. But like, it's like having a dozen bosses. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's freaking hard. But, um, that was what I was starting to notice is I was just starting to get mad at like every client. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> hey, you're so I... demanding. And it's like, this is literally my job. I asked for this. Yeah, like, you, you exactly right. Yeah. 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 Um, and so I don't want to like jump back in and immediately revert to that kind of way of being. Because again, what kind of experience do I want every person to have after in- interacting with me? Hmm. That's... whether it's professional or personal, like that's very important to me. So it's important enough to me to step out of an industry if I need to and sure. turn it into a hobby. Okay. And is that something you're thinking about? I don't know. Okay. We'll see. No, but you brought up something that's actually, and I was thinking about this this morning about a little bit more self-awareness as far as like, what kind of impact are you having on people? Like you can't, you can't run your life like that, but I was just even thinking last night at work, maybe I didn't give this person the space that they needed to do their job. And I was kind of right. just a bit, you know, and enco- whatever you want to say, encroaching on them when I didn't have to. And the signs were there that that was true. And I didn't think about it till after. So, you know, if maybe for all the strides I've made that there's much more to do as far as self-awareness. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, coming back to you, we always, we always have, I mean, that to me actually gives me hope. I hope that we're always becoming better versions of ourselves. Mm. I hope that the world is always going to be, you know, better in the future than it is today. Like Mm. I had a conversation with someone. They're like, oh, I I'm so scared of whatever, you know, our children's generation is going to think about ours. Like and I'm like, well, I hope. I hope that they have things to be like, wow, that was terrible because it means that they'll have been moving forward always. Right. right. I hope. Like I hope that their generation will be well, embarrassed that's... and be like, wow, look at how like behind they were. I hope so. <laughs> well, isn't that the point? Yeah. Aren't we progressing as a species that way? Like we we as millennials joke about boomers pretty regularly, right? For good mm-hmm. reason in some ways. Yeah. But also they were just as blind to whatever we're blind to right now. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a do you think that's the right but way? I, I would say, sure. I think that I hope, I hope our generation is different Well, in the sense of being willing to do some self-reflection. Hmm. I think that there is a difference, I hope, but yeah. Are there issues there that you, that you're thinking of that maybe we're starting to crack open? I mean, obviously the race one is front, race, front and center. I mean, our LGBTQ mm. two spirit mm-hmm. communities, even mental health. 
I think that's, um, I think that might be the one mm-hmm. the, the, for me anyway. Yeah. I think mental health. Well, yeah. But it all ties I mean, together. We right? could talk about it, but I mean, that's again, even the, the ability to recognize that every topic is connected. Like yes. that's what intersectionality is, right? Like they're not exclusive of each other. No, that's, and that's key. That's key. I like that idea of intersectionality, but I think I understand it. It, it was made clear to me in a way that, well, I, I don't even know what I would say about it anymore. I think it's, I think it's useful in understanding myself as an individual to see mm-hmm. where the different intersections lie within me. Part of my issue with it and tell me what you think about this is if we create these in groups, in group, out group, you're based on an identity. Is there an issue there where it's like, so if I place you in this in group, uh, you're Chinese, you have some Chinese heritage, then it's like, do you want all the problems of all the Chinese people placed on you just because you share an identity with them? Is this a reasonable thing to start talking about with intersectionality? That's my misunderstanding with it. Right. And I, I mean, I think it's, I think the power in intersectionality um, is not necessarily in grouping people or, you know, their causes. I think that's up to individuals Mm. to um, identify, to self-identify and, you know, claim or not claim whatever. Okay. um, Okay. But the power in intersectionality is that if you are willing to embrace it as an ideology um, or as, you know, say like, yeah, okay, intersectionality exists, is that if you agree that intersectionality is a thing, then you're going to have to recognize that in some way or another, you may be causing harm mm. in part of the web somewhere. Hmm. Does that make sense? It sure could if you continued. If I can try and unpack my thoughts. No, um, no, that's no, no, don't don't do anything unnatural. Just is that no, what it's- but I think that so I mean where I experience it a lot is like feminism. So um there's a lot there, a very dangerous sect of feminism would mm. be um turfs extreme extremist white feminism okay which is exclusionary of uh, trans women Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh often maybe not necessarily spoken but often in microaggressions um exclusionary of uh, bipoc folks like Mm. if you are not willing to accept intersectionality then you are likely to be perpetuating harm in some way or another. Does that make sense? No, this is interesting stuff. And this is takes me to one assertion I had about intersectionality. Not, not to put you on the spot, but how many intersections do you think make up your identity or my identity? Like, And then compare mine to yours. And it's like, isn't the fundamental end of intersectionality the individual? Sorry, can you say that again? I guess I'm grasping here because I haven't thought about intersectionality in a while, mm-hmm. but we're talking about places where identities cross and the intersection is the is the person, like the intersections yeah. occur within my identity. 
and depending how far down the the checklist of of identities you want to go every person is made up of infinite intersections but no two people are the same no two people exist at the exact same intersection Mm -hmm. so isn't intersectionality really just a way of saying we're all individuals i would say so yeah okay but um this is kind of what i was saying i I said this to someone on the internet (laughs) um uh because a lot of times when i've this is kind of where white extremist feminism starts to play out. At mm. least what I've witnessed is if people start to say like, okay, so support women of color, or if, you know, if someone's talking about the statistics of how much more likely it is for indigenous women to be murdered or go missing and for no one to care sure, or like not, sorry, not no one to care, but for it to not be, um, to not be made a, an important conversation. Does that make sense? I'm trying to figure out how to say that properly, but I probably messed. I probably no, no. didn't. Um, is that they, then they're like, well, wait, we're all struggling. We all have trauma. And right. the thing is about intersections. And when you have an aspect of your identity that intersects in terms of marginalized people, mm. marginalized groups, thing like oppressed people, is that it adds a sector to your trauma. So again, like I said, sure. everyone has trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Every single person. So white people, white men, white women, just people, black, uh, Asian, like we all do. Mm-hmm. But as a person of color there are sectors added to my trauma, to my story Mm. that do not exist for a a woman who'd be standing next to me. Who's white. She won't have that story at Bible school Mm. or Bible, whatever Bible camp of people yelling racial slurs at her. That's not part of her story. It it won't be. And even if it, you know, I've I've had people say this, like I've been called a cracker. It's like that doesn't have the same historical <laughs> connotations to it. I'm sorry, sure. um, it doesn't. Um, so it, even if you were to say like, okay, well, I've been called, you know, a derogatory term for a white person. Mm-hmm. It's like that doesn't carry the same historical pain either. So that's what that's where it, like intersectionality, in my opinion, kind mm-hmm. of plays in because. Okay it acknowledges that there are sectors or inter, you know, intersections that exist for certain people that, that add to their trauma in a way that someone who doesn't have that intersection would experience. Sure. No, I like that. I think that makes sense. It's like, uh, well, this might be foolish, but some intersections are more dangerous to be in than others. Right. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, that's even something I have to acknowledge um, and have acknowledged even with the increase of uh, anti-Asian violence Mm -hmm. in our country. Uh, Someone earlier this year told me that I don't look Asian at all with my mask on. And I was really sad about that. But it's funny because as the the violence increased, Mm -hmm. I was thinking about like, well, at least at least I don't look Asian with my mask on. That's that's too that's bad. That's so sad. That's, that's wrong, isn't it? <laughs> that's sad. That's also like, so that's where I have an intersection of also being white. Mm. Um, that, 
you know, I need to hold and consider, even though, I mean, again, we could go down a whole different tangent here. Like I, I would say my whole life I've identified as Chinese, like, and, and a lot of people will say this being mixed, you tend to kind of, I think, identify more strongly with, um, the side that's ethnic. Okay. Um, because you, you can't really hide. So I, I've been asked what I am more times than I even know, but I, I bring that up to say like, that's part of one of my intersections that gives me um, more power mm. than my fully Chinese counterparts. Um, mm. And that's something that I have to be willing to talk about as much as I still have had trauma and hurt and pain from being Chinese. Mm -hmm. There's an intersection there that, that, you know, it can, you can have intersections that make you more oppressed or have more power. And I think it's good to, you know, just be open-minded and, and consider these things and listen when people talk about them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, I hear you. I hear that in a big way. And you mm -hmm. said something similar to that on your Instagram story about you went, to China and you had white expats telling you about Chinese culture? Yeah. Well, they weren't expats. So like we were just around like in the, like where all the white people lived essentially. Okay. There was a McDonald's around the corner and beside it, there was a KFC. Like that's. <laughs> <laughs> How was the food at the Chinese KFC? I feel like it would have been pretty. Oh, okay. <laughs> I had high. Well, it's it funny because um, it, it was funny because you know, watching some of the people I was traveling with, like experience Chinese food. And then like, they thought it was so funny because uh, in China, like they really love corn, like love it. Okay. It's a dessert. Nice. So they oh, have like corn nice. sundaes at McDonald's. Oh, nice. And even that was weird where they were kind of like, what the heck is this? And kind of laughing about it. I think right. some of them tried it. Um, like corn as a topping, like just corn yeah. kernels. Yeah, I got to grab my charger. Sorry, my That's phone okay. I'd be into that, yeah. Corn Sundays. Yeah. I'm going to have a corn Sunday after this episode, folks. You're going to hear me running because... <laughs> I actually have... Yeah, and I mean... Again, this is where it's like, it's so hard to like address every single thing and that's why you almost have to oversimplify because it's virtually impossible but um even in that post and like i'm probably gonna do something later to to say like i'm not i'm not even mad at the people that i traveled with like right i don't i'm not angry at them i don't want them to be hurt but i do need them to understand and i'm not gonna i think Part of the reason I said something is like, I'm not going to silence myself because I'm worrying about the comfort of white people, <laughs> which was literally right. what was causing me harm there. Like, sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, you, well, it's like you say, like maybe for you, part of the discount, like you're, you're, oh, God damn it. <laughs> I've, I haven't eaten in a long, long time. You're imploring people to lean into this discomfort. Mm -hmm. Maybe for you, the discomfort is to, not be afraid of what Whitey thinks and just say things as you see them. Yeah. And I mean, like, that's another, like, again, intersection, right? Because the people that I'm addressing in that are white Christians, like white evangelicals. So there's like, 
I have to, again, going back to the emotional budget, I have to decide how many conversations I want to get into. Sure. <laughs> on what, you know, like, because um, it, it brings up a whole, a lot more in terms of uh, colonialist, kind of like white savior complexes. Uh-huh. Um, like, I don't. No, there's. A- I, I don't think I've unpacked all of it oh. really. To be perfectly honest with you, because I mean, I also have other aspects of, um, like it's very misogynistic as well. Like women are supposed to be subservient and like that kind of mentality. Mm. Um, have you yeah. been made? Have you been made to feel that way in your life as a woman? <laughs> yeah, I grew up in the church. Okay, um, can we talk about that? Sure. Um, yeah, but which, which part? I guess, uh, well, I'm, well, my, what I know of you is that you, that you did grow up in a religious background, but that you're no longer of the faith or whatever they want to say. Yeah. See, and even that, again, I would say I am (laughs) open-minded. Sure. So like and it depends on the day there are some days Mm. where if you talk to me it's going to be like I guess if I had to like put my finger on it I would say I definitely believe that there's some kind of power at work I think it's I've been through too many strange things and witnessed too many things in my life Hmm. to say that I don't believe at all um Great. But the term that I would use is that I am like completely deconstructing and reconstructing who I am in all facets of my life. That sounds like um, fun. It it is and it isn't because uh-huh. it means that you see all the cracks in your foundation and you see all the things where you were just barely, you know, like your whole structure was just like barely hanging on. Sure. Um And it's not like it's easy to rebuild, especially if you don't even know what kind of a floor plan you want. (laughs) Sure. Sure. But yeah, and um, you you see your shortcomings too. You see the things that you could never have or do or be. Yeah. Um, But there were a lot of things that, uh, again, it comes down to like this, this unwillingness, this kind of um, strong hearted, like Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. justification of harm. Uh, that just doesn't align even with, you know, I, I know the Bible very well. I would not call myself a theologian because I, I don't have that training, but okay. I, I memorized several books of the Bible in, oh, wow. uh, like as a high schooler, I, I read the, the whole Bible the first time when I was eight, which was, I do wow. not recommend it. It caused an immense amount of nightmares. Uh, because well, it's, yeah. it's a hell of a story. <laughs> Yeah. Um, which also in itself is a weird thing to do to like give children a yeah. book full of like rape, murder and genocide and then tell them this is all true. It's all good. <laughs> right. This is the book that you like not saying that the Bible in itself is bad, but like um, I can see how it will have you know, formed a lot of fear and anxiety for me as a young child. Interesting. I I heard that. I saw that 
in somebody's Instagram story once too. This is apparently where I get my world news is on Instagram. But I mean, that's where we educate. I think it's, it's great. It sure seems like it. I love Instagram. Mm-hmm. I say what you will. I love it. Yeah. Um, and she said, what a thing to tell children. I hadn't really thought about it because my parents didn't raise us with like a stern Christian teaching. Right. They just didn't. Um, which I'm in some ways thankful for that I got to discover Christianity later in life my own yeah. way. But what a hell of a thing to tell a bunch, to tell a child and then say that this is true. And then say, if you don't believe in it and live by it, you go to hell. Yeah. Was that, was that oh. what was taught to you more or less? Oh yeah. Uh, my family, so I'm struggling. I'm like, how much do I say here? <laughs> <'Cause> I, <laughs> you don't want to sell your family out either. And no. I wouldn't ask you to, and if you want to steer away, we can. I mean, I can, uh, yeah. Um, shoot. I had a thought and now I'm trying to remember what it was. Oh yeah. So, um, <clears throat> One of the stories that recently popped up that I was discussing with someone is a Bible story about David, who is often called God's like beloved. He's like, mm. um, I don't know. I'll just pretend that you, you and you know, listeners don't know anything. It's just easier. Um, anyway, so he he is kind of upheld as like God's chosen mm. um, dude. Um, which in some ways is great because he clearly struggles with mental illness. He like throughout, you know, he writes a lot of poetry. He struggles through a lot of things. He's not a perfect person. So in some ways that's great Cool. because if this has got like, you know, you're allowed to be imperfect essentially. But so he, there's this story in the Bible where David looks out and he sees a woman bathing on a rooftop and he's like, Hey, she's super hot. I want to have sex with her. Someone, I'm the king. Go get that chick. Bring her here. <laughs> and just, which <clears throat> is, is so convenient that it's written so nicely because uh, he raped her. <laughs> like, did he? D- yes, he did? that's yeah. a hundred. Like, if you're a king, like, whether she was even allowed to say no mm. or not, mm-hmm. we're talking about a man in a position of power. He was the king demanding like sending guards to her house while her husband is away Mm. bringing her to his you at that point of time with historical context understanding of like how women were treated yes that was rape she was raped sure um she would not have had a choice Mm. it would have been that or die basically Mm. um then when she gets pregnant because he raped her uh he's like oh shit Someone's going to find out because her husband's actually, oh, he's he's fighting the war for me. Dang. <laughs> he's not home. So then he brings her husband home, tries to like cohort, like manipulate him into having sex with his, with the woman so that he'll think that it's his child when the guy doesn't. Cause he's like honorable. He's like, I need to go back to war. My men are fighting. Mm. I'm not going to go like do this thing. So then David is like, okay, fine. I'm just going to cover up my murder. I'm going to send you to this place where you're definitely going to die. Hmm. Puts him on like the front lines. The guy dies. And he's like, cool. Takes Bathsheba back to his house. That's the woman. Sure. Takes her back and then marries her. Now, story. God's like, you dipshit. Like, you're supposed to be like this good guy. Like, hmm. I, you're supposed to do good things. And this is not a good thing. And now she's pregnant. So um, I'm going to kill the baby. Hmm. 
And that's like David's punishment. So that story is like so awful in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that like, one. That's crazy. And um, I mean, it. this is where a lot of gaslighting and toxic behavior comes from because it's like, oh, look, like I, I'll be fine. It's okay. Look, David. And it's like, no, like we aren't even addressing the fact that this woman was raped. We aren't right. even addressing the fact that like, why the hell would this like God, like these are things that I struggle with. It's like that, if this is like a God who's compassionate, supposedly caring, kind, this story really misses the mark for me. I'm not saying that the Bible is not true or that there's just something being missed in conversations about interesting about it. And obviously as a woman who has, you know, been through sexual assault and harassment and, you know, men using their power essentially to control and oppress me, Mm. this is like a massive story to me (laughs) in Mm -hmm. terms of like, I, I, you know, where I'm sitting at. And um, so, no, I wouldn't say that I've like left the faith. I would say that I'm sitting in this, I call it like a faith purgatory in a sense. And maybe this is going to be my life of like living in this uncomfortable gray area all the time. But for me, it's like, I don't know the answer and I don't want to say that I know the answer, but I do want to lean on the fact that if, God, if Jesus is like who I was taught that he was, mm-hmm. and maybe things have been, you know, misconstru- misconstrued through human context, human interpretation, if there is a God and he truly is kind and patient and, you know, love is his, his main goal and purpose for human beings on earth, mm-hmm. then I, I kind of hold on to this hope and belief that that he would be okay with my wrestling and my struggles and yeah um and it's funny because often in the church and i you know i i was there i was a part of it i was fully entrenched one of the narratives that happens when it comes to people who stop going or stop buying in mm is that it's like, oh, well, it's easier. They just want to go have fun. They just want to go party and do all the bad things. And um, I mean, for me personally, this was the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life. Mm. I remember sobbing in my, like on my bed and just like crying out and being like, I don't know if this is a prayer or like what, but like feeling like I just miss God. I miss Jesus. I miss all these things that I've known in my life that brought me comfort, like, they're gone because mm. I, I can't, I can't reconcile them anymore. I don't know how to, and I'm not willing to just pretend like that for me was like, I can't mm. pretend. I can't tell people that these are things that I believe in completely if, if I'm struggling. And I just remember hearing that narrative in my mind. It's like, just, you know, just work through it. Be, you know, just trust in God. And it's like, I do trust, like, that's why I'm doing this. I trust that if I'm actually seeking truth, that I'm actually listening to what's happening inside of me and not being willing to mask over it with, with words and, you know, Bible verses and like Mm -hmm. toxic positivity. I like, I feel like I've been, 
I have more faith than I did when I was in the church because I am wrestling and, and perhaps like if we want to go back to David, I think I'm closer to possibly God's beloved because I'm wrestling with all of these things and I'm not willing to just be like, Oh, you know, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Cool. Yeah. Like I, and I mean, even you see that with within Jesus's life, how much of a attention it is with him where he's like, I don't get it. God, like, I don't, yeah. why are you doing this? Sure. And like this kind of um, stamp, uh, stampeding kind of Christianity of um, stomping on people and trampling. It just doesn't align. And so even in that way, it's very hard for me to, be associated in any way with that. So I'd rather, you know, be called whatever <laughs> um, and be outside of a community that in some ways was like very kind and supportive, but also incredibly harmful and traumatic. <laughs> and um like be willing to leave that and deal with whatever kind of repercussions it has um, and try to actually find what truth is. Um, and I, I think that comes down to, again, like human beings want there to be like, you know, one of the terms that I learned all the time, like in Bible school and going, growing up in church was like relative truth and absolute truth. And um, kind of this belief that um, there has to be an absolute truth um, that exists. And I think that that's true in some ways, but also not. And that's where, like, every topic we talk about, I'm going to be like, well, there's this and that. Like, um, is murder bad? Yeah. Like, that's an absolute truth. Murder is bad. But then if you want to go into a topic like abortion, for example, sure. someone is going to say that's murder. And so for them, bad. Mm -hmm. Someone else is going to say, well, you're infringing on someone's human rights and oppressing them, which is also bad. And that's an absolute truth, too. That is bad. But they're not like, you know what I mean? Like to talk about a topic like abortion as if it in itself is an absolute truth when it. it it can't be. And I understand, and this is where, again, if it comes down to legislation and policy and whatever, I'm going to side with women and oppressed people, Okay. but I'm not going to stand on that side and not say that I struggle with it. Cause I do, I struggle with it immensely. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I, I, I tried to say that in an episode that I did a while ago and you, you really recapitulated and you captured kind of the spirit of where I'm at with everything. So thank you for saying all that, by the way, that was great. <laughs> it was great. Huh. I'm, I'm glad it helped. I felt like I really, it was just like, no, but I, I, Christ, I was on the roller coaster with you. I was like, yes, 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 yes. So, I mean, yeah, a lot to unpack there, but it seems to me that to get close to God is, is again, starts on a personal level. And it seems, sounds like a lot of what you experienced in the church was something like being forced to buy into a collective 
group identity? Yeah, I think uh, I'll, I'll bring it actually even more like more of a spotlight. Sure. Um, again, as human beings, um, we we don't like being uncomfortable. And I think that focusing on our own faults and, and, you know, seeking those things out is hard. And so I find myself doing this even like, if I'm like, Oh, I don't really want to deal with that. It's like, who can I like help or focus on instead? Uh, like mm. what else can I do other than like sitting here with my cringy gross, like feelings? I don't, I don't want to feel that right now. So I'm going to like put this energy into something else. And I think that that's like, the best way I could describe what happens as a collective um, in churches. It's like this, um, even though the words are there, the words are like, let's think about how we can be better. But it's what, what we see in action more often is like, how can we make other people fit into <laughs> sure, like A and B mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to like, how could I, be better and even if there is introspection it's so shame-based that it's always like i'm an awful person i'm evil and i'm a sinner and i need god it's like okay sure you've messed up you've made mistakes but also like you are like if you want to use scripture you're fearfully and wonderfully made like you're you're supposed to be made in god's image like there are good things to you so let's like let's like hold the bus on shame, which is just a natural human emotion that doesn't need to be perpetuated mm-hmm. <laughs> from an sure. external source at all. No, um, no, there's enough of that inside all of us to, yes. To power so, the world. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if I finished that thought, but yeah, I don't know. I, sorry. I kind of railroaded you there. Um, I find that so fascinating. What you said about how you have more faith now having left the church. Is that accurate? Yeah. And I've been thinking a lot about how I've said this on a couple episodes, but I've been thinking about if you could think about a bell curve where most of the population exists and it's a bell curve. So most of the population exists in the middle on this mm-hmm. hypothetical thing. And on the far end, you have, I guess, evangelical Christians, people who believe in God in a blind faith way, just because they've been told. And then you have a lot of people, I think, in the middle who are atheists or who just choose to believe whatever they want on any given day because they can. And then down on the other side of the bell curve where I'm kind of trying to, I'm kind of trying to get here is a, is a belief in God without any kind of, and then I don't have a word there, a belief in God without a text, without a teaching, without being, uh, what's the word, having it, I'm trying to find God here, you know, yeah. inside. Does that sound yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, I guess like a lot of my context of this, like I said, is like, even if, you know, there's Christian people talking for them to hear it from like a scriptural context, like Mm -hmm. there, there even is like scripture that says like, like God is inside. (laughs) Like you have, you have, you know, he's revealed things to you. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I think what I've, noticed and this is where i think there's a a huge disconnect in in modern day uh north american evangelicalism is um there's a verse that says like show me your faith with with word and deed um basically like showing show us your action and um 
I think that's become such a focus of like, look at, look, look at what we're doing. <laughs> we're, you know, we're, we're doing these good things. Right. Look, Hey, yeah, we're doing it. But it's like, but let's like make sure that you're, you know, are you well, <laughs> are you well, right. Are, are, are you healthy? And I mean, that's even reflected in how many pastors uh, get completely burnt out because okay. there's such a, you know, uh, an emphasis on how much to give. And again, coming back to budget, like how much budget do you have? Cause there are certain things that should be top priority, like your family and your own well-being, um, which gets lost in kind of the martyr mentality sure. of religion. Right. Um, but you're actually not going to help anybody if you're not well. <laughs> That's so. an important distinction to make. Yeah. I think that's kind of where where I'm getting or where we're we've gotten here a few times in different ways, which must mean that it's <laughs> truer than not. It's important. It's, it must be important. We've said it many times. It's like you are of no use to anybody is what you said. There's no you're of no use to anybody if you're not taking care of yourself. And it's like you want to go out and affect change. You want to overthrow capitalism or you whatever radical ideas you have. Not you, but whoever. What mm-hmm. good could you possibly hope to impose upon the world if you yourself are? roiling chaos and uh, self-hate and all these things that we can be mm-hmm. you're going to go inflict that on the world and that's the answer that doesn't yeah. seem right well and that's i mean that's i mean i don't know if this is kind of on topic or what but i took a really long hiatus from social media and i've started doing that a lot more because mm, nice you know when i am there i find that i use so much of my emotional budget which is fine i make that choice okay but then it means that I am making that choice to leave and I I really struggle with it because it feels selfish. It doesn't feel it's like there's so many causes that I need to help with and I need to use my voice and elevate other voices and do all this with, you know, whatever power I have been privileged to receive. But um, what I've started to notice is when I, when I continue to try to fight at that, you know, burnt out, fully expended um, version of myself is Mm. when the angry, Mm like version comes out, the which um, I'm not going to say that people can't be angry because there are things that like, I, I think that we tone police too often. Mm. Um, there are some very justified angry voices out there and we have to hold space for them to have that. Um, but for me personally, I view it as like what, what has become very important to me again is how I interact with people and that they are willing to hear me. Um, and I think that that comes from more of a spirit of compassion and kindness um, hmm. and care for anyone who might be listening. Um, because ultimately that's what I want. And that's a choice I've made. It's not okay. a choice that I think everybody has to make at all. Okay. Like, not at all. I, I, I don't think that. Um, uh, I think that there's a lot of expectation and entitlement for, you know, education from marginalized people, from emotional labor, for it to have to be kind and patient. And I don't <laughs> think that's right. <laughs> um, sure. So I, I want that to be clear when I'm saying this, that this mm-hmm. is a choice that I've made. But I, it's not because I think that everybody should or um, I don't think that sh- everybody else should necessarily come to that point. It's It's a it's a space that I've reached in my journey okay. um, that I feel like I, I can do, but it means that I have to, you know, 
take more steps away um, in order to continue that kind of emotional labor or education or conversations from that space because that's the only way I want to. And part of that comes out of like, I feel absolutely awful when I walk away from a conversation and have been angry or, you know, unhinged maybe. Sure. But um, I, I want to feel like when I walk away from something that I, I don't like the word above reproach, but that I don't have any regrets sure. for myself about how I interact with other human beings. Um, so, but would you have regret if you walked away knowing that you stifled or suppressed an emotion rather than, Oh, I, at least I didn't piss them off too much. I can feel better about that. Like what's, you know what I'm saying? Um, like you mean like suppress my own, yeah. kind of, like if I was like, feeling angry or would, something. Right. Like I'm saying, wouldn't you rather walk away from an interaction here in this case, having felt like you presented yourself accurately versus, well, I walk away without having inflicted any hurt. Right. So that's where, again, comes back to me being the director of things. Mm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and sometimes there are, you know, like I've, I have blood sugar issues. I okay. have, you know, uh, uh, neurodivergence. Like there are things that affect how much I can handle. And I recognize that. And I know that about myself. So um, sometimes I don't know if I'm like, do you know, I don't know if that's making any sense. If I feel like I am no longer in control mm-hmm. of of those things, if like Hulk is just like throwing a tantrum and I can't like, you know, sure, I'm not actually in control anymore, then I would rather step away in that moment than burn the building down. Like I'd, because, sure. because then what happens as a result mm-hmm. of like, if Hulk, you know, continues to rampage and rage, then the inner critic comes in and starts there, you know, it's like a soliloquy for the, the inner critic to come in and be like, you suck, you're terrible. You're, you should never say anything. Yeah. What do you think you're doing? Nice like, job, Hulk. Yeah. So it's, um, it turns into, again, it's like the worst versions of myself and the mm. worst versions of my emotions can come out. And, and that's like a journey that I'm still on. It's sure. a journey that I'm going on, but, um, and I guess maybe I'm sharing this cause I hope that other people can maybe start to be more in tune with what's going on. I've learned, you know, whenever the Hulk comes out now to be like, okay, is this, <laughs> is this the right time for you? Because mm-hmm. sometimes there is. Sometimes, yeah, definitely. Um, I've definitely had that and felt like that was good that I came across that, you know, strongly in that moment. Okay. Um, but for the most part, when I'm like, you know, putting forward posts or, you know, doing it out of my own preparation does that make sense like um i want it to be in a space where um people at least start there start Mm. in a space where people feel like they can now i will still you know protect myself protect that space and Mm. anybody else in that space that might you know, be harmed by someone coming on and being like, you are just blah, blah, blah. And like, this is stupid and mm-hmm. whatever. Like, I'm not going to allow that either, if that makes any sense. So. No, that's, well, you know what the, what I'm taking away from all that is that you have a pretty, you have a very good sense of 
how to spend the budget or I guess how to, how to use what you've got. Like, like, I guess what I'm trying to, when I was younger, I was doing things that I think divorced my mind from my body or divorced Mm -hmm. parts of my mind from my mind. Whereas I wasn't so self-aware of why I was feeling and thinking and doing these things. And as you say, maybe if somebody's listening, they could, and they're looking for some kind of direction in this way, that is the key is to sort of be, try and become in tune with those stimuli and with those internal signals and not to actually place any uh, value judgment on what you're feeling. Yes. But, but, you know, act, (laughs) you know, act in a way that's going to be what? Well, not even just be aware that you're feeling and doing and don't place judgments on them. But then I guess, you know, read the room also would be. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, the very first, I know I can kind of speak to this is like as a child, when I was learning to develop those things, like that's Mm. probably my kids have like temper tantrums and stuff. They're trying to like, they're trying to figure out what emotions are and how to handle them. Sure. Um, Now this is like pretty common for women in general. And then if you add in women in the church, like that, that intersection, Mm -hmm, um, we are taught to like basically squelch that. Can you hear that? Is that bothering? That's fine. Uh, We're taught to like squelch that down and uh, minimize, you know, whatever's going on inside of us Mm. to prioritize everybody and everything else. Um, So, I, I do think that that awareness and it, like, just for me, honestly, it just started with like, um, and I started with my therapist, uh, yep. her ability to notice them for me before I did even. Mm. So like, I couldn't even feel them, but she could see external cues. Like, I can tell you're feeling something. Do you want to dig into that? Or like, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that that's like, especially for men who also culturally are like not allowed to have emotions <laughs> unless it's anger, sure. <laughs> like sure. pretty much or um, sexual pleasure if that's an emotion, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like just starting with even noticing it because you can't control something if you don't even know where it or what it is. That's a great point. And it goes, and it does go back to therapy again, but it's also, I have been keeping a journal since like, mid 2018 and then Mm -hmm. to be able to go back and read your life as if it were a story and you're like holy hell this guy makes the same mistake every day for a year (laughs) yeah and then he doesn't even see the con the fallout that comes from it but then so what what could we say about that as it's similar to therapy it's like a lot of people seem to be acting again this is a straw man thing that i tend to do myself and they tend to see it all over the place now but there is a tendency to be unself-aware and act in a sort of impulsive or uh you know what i'm getting at here mm-hmm. that's i guess yeah. it, it ties back to what we were saying before is like and it's okay to get help to do those things to read yeah. to see yourself externally well i think i don't know the thought that came up to like came to mind to me is there's a reason why we are so blown away when a TV show has amazing writers and actors who are able to capture completely the complexities of the human existence. Um, Because it's way easier to write a one dimensional character with Mm. a a story that goes from like A to B really Mm -hmm. easily. And I think that we do that to ourselves too. Like, it's easier to be 
a one-dimensional person, but that's not who humans are. Yeah. And I found myself thinking when you were talking about some of those Bible stories where it's like, you know, for a lot of people and in some ways, like the foundation of the moral and ethics, the morals and ethics of the West are found in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And yet the Bible is not any sort of one-dimensional story either, right? No. And that's why I think it's a useful text because it captures in a lot of ways the what it means to be human. Yeah. I think like any literature, mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. I think if you read it in historical context, and that's what's missing a lot of times. Mm, is, that's um, good point. Which I'm like, a, I'm a book nerd. Like I love mm. reading my favorite classes in university were the one where you like read a book and then you're like, what does this mean? <laughs> yeah. um, but instead of just trying to interpret it, you know, when we, when, when I read um, Mary Shelley's like, what is it? I forget what the actual term for the book is, but Frankenstein yeah, essentially, right? Sure. Yep. Um, when we unpack the cultural history and mm. uh, context to why that book was written and what she was trying to say mm. through the book, it makes the whole thing mean something totally different. Like understanding the cultural context to when that book was written. So, sure. and I think that kind of lens needs to be applied to everything that we ingest and read and consume like it yeah um in terms of information like uh context is like key <laughs> it sure is and then, but then even if you can glean some sort of conclusions out of something independent of the historical context all then it's maybe a great work right it yeah. if it transcends that context but i think you're right so what is the what frankenstein is like about what the invasive nature of medicine <laughs> No. I, I can't remember. I, I do remember. Oh, man. That's okay. Um, that, that, that was yeah. not fair to ask that question. I'll revisit my first year lit. Like, English course. 101, right. was it 120 or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. English. But I right. just remember finding that so fascinating because I had made kind of like my own sort of interpretation and conclusions, which were still good. They were great. Like, mm -hmm. but then when you add on the layer of the cultural context to it, I was like, whoa. Right. Which is kind of, um, which is something that's like mean that much more and maybe guides you in the direction, um, you know, on some of the more nuanced things gives you a better idea of maybe what was like, where it was trying to go. Sure. Right. Where it was, where, but for sure. And in some ways that cultural context is like baked into what's the writing, but then right. To be able to zoom out and see it through that lens. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's harder. <laughs> it was much harder. It is harder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. um, thank you for your time, by the way, that was, I thought it was great anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I always enjoy talking with you, so. Yeah. We, we seem to get somewhere productive get usually. Places. Yeah. yeah. See some things, have some thoughts. Um, do you want people to follow you on social media or should people just fuck off and leave you alone? Uh, they can follow me on Instagram, I guess. Okay. It's really the only, um, man, there was a thought I had in my brain mm. and I'm like, I'm trying to like, it's like nagging me and it's, why am I? See if you can get I, there. I, I can't remember what it was. You sure? What were you talking about? Well, we were talking about Frankenstein for some reason. <laughs> that was me. I brought it in. Oh, that's okay. You can cut that out. I'm not cutting anything out. <laughs> Oh, my I'm not goodness. cutting anything out. No. Um, 
I don't. Do you have a how the thought makes you feel? You know what I mean? Like, is the thought. It's just like a, a point that I had that I thought mm. was good, but I can't remember what it. God damn it. <sighs> well, we're not going to, we're not ending on this note. So. Yeah. Um, it's all good. It's all good. Um, yeah, I don't have much more to say. I guess. I'm glad I can't do this again anyways. No, it's true. But this is getting released. (laughs) Pardon? Actually, I did an episode last week and I, we ended up having to scrap it because they weren't, the guest wasn't, wasn't happy with how they came off. So, um, that sucks. Yeah, it sucks, but it is. You also don't want to put someone who's coming in from a professional place of authority. And then it's like, no, this can't represent my. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Well, all right. Uh, I'll link to your Instagram and I think keep it up. Just take care, I guess. You know, I just, uh, I, I'm not trying to be your dad or like, you know, Mr. Like, you know, it doesn't matter what I say, but like, yeah, I see how much you care about the advocacy and the outreach and the outspokenness that you're doing. But just, uh, I, I know, you know, but just, uh, yeah, take care of yourself, I guess is the only thing <laughs> from an outside <laughs> Thank observer. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I, I think I've been doing a lot better at that. So mm-hmm. yeah. Right on. Okay, well, I thank you again for your time, AJ. Have a great weekend. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Is this like actual bye now? No, no, this is... Oh, God damn it. You screw the ending up. That's all right. I'm sorry. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, Do you want to do it again? Sure, let's do it again. I'm leaving all this in. This is great gold. Comedy gold. (laughs) Comedy gold. God almighty. Have a great weekend, AJ. Thank you for your time. (laughs) You too, Patrick. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the North Bank Media Podcast. If you enjoy this conversation, please subscribe on YouTube and give us a like. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe as well and leave a five-star review.